Good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Adam. So glad that you are joining us. We are in the last message in our series in the book of Nehemiah. So we're covering the last couple of chapters this morning. Before we get into it, I want to tell you about one of the most memorable summers of my life. It was one of the most memorable summers of my life because that was the year that COVID hit. And so I had to leave college to go back to New York where my parents lived. And it was a pretty memorable summer because I was able to reconnect with some of my best buddies growing up. And these guys own a landscaping business. And so I started working for these guys. And I was spending like every single day with them. I was working with them. And then on the weekends, we'd hang out. And I'm pretty sure I slept on Jeremiah's couch more times than I slept in my actual bed. And so my friends back home, they are a different breed of people. Like these guys love a good, hard challenge like nobody else. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this uh, fitness or self-improvement program called 75 Hard, but we didn't do the whole program. We did just bits and pieces of it. And as part of this program, we were doing a workout every single day. We were drinking a gallon of water every day, and we were reading 10 pages in a book every day. And we're like, all right, guys, like we are going to stay strong with this. We've got a self-discipline of steel. And then we said, all right, let's take it up a notch. We're going to add one good habit to our life every single week. And so we were keeping each other accountable for reading one chapter of the Bible every day and journaling every day and even making our bed. We even got to the point when we were tracking our sleep with a sleep app and then sending that to each other to make sure that we're sleeping good throughout the week. And so those are a lot of habits to just put into your life all at once and then to maintain for a while. And so we had to check in with each other. And every day, I would text my buddy and let him know that I had accomplished all of the habits. And so I'd send him a text message that looked like this. And so each one of those habits correlated with one of these emojis because we started typing it out and it was a lot. And so I had these guys following up with me all the time and I was staying strong in these habits until I moved to Montrose. And so I was three hours away from my friends and I wasn't able to see them all the time. I started checking in with them less and less. And the less and less that we were checking in with each other and keeping each other accountable, the less and less I started to follow through on all of these really good habits that I had built. Like I did some really, some just messed up thinking like, why would I even make my bed in the morning if I'm going to get in it again at night and make it all messy again? And so I was like, why bother make my bed? And so I started to fade there. And then when it came to the book reading, I was like, you know what? Reading 10 pages a day is so inconvenient. I'm living a busy life. How about I just read from this book when I have time? You know how that goes, right? So I wasn't reading from the book quite as much. And when I look at all of these lists of habits that I had that summer, I'm still only following through with just a few of them. And I think the key to my success or even the reason to my failure in keeping these habits, a big part of that comes down to accountability and just having somebody to check in with me on my life and to make sure that I was doing well with those things. And 
In our series in the book of Nehemiah, we've been talking about the value of reading God's word. We've been talking about the value of prayer and confession. Now, this morning, we are talking about the value of accountability. Because accountability is great for fitness, it's great for self-discipline and like self-improvement kind of stuff. But when it comes to living in obedience to God, I think the stakes are way higher. You can miss your bed on the morning. You can not be reading a book or anything like that. But if we are not living in obedience to God, our lives could head down a path that we really don't want to go down. And so this morning, we will be talking about accountability. If you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. And we'll also have it up here on the screen. And before we get into this passage, I'll fill you in on a little bit of the background in case you missed the last few Sundays or you need a little bit of a refresher. So we're talking about the nation of Israel after they've come out of exile from Babylon. And they were in exile for 70 years and they get released and they come back to Jerusalem and the city is just in ruins. Like the walls are toppled down. But you know what? They didn't try to fix it really. They just lived in that condition for a while until this guy named Nehemiah stepped in. And so Nehemiah comes in, he rallies the people together, and they rebuild the city. And then Nehemiah becomes their governor, and he helps them with some reforms. And then he uses his influence to point the people back to God. And so they start reading from God's word. They turn to God in prayer and confession. And then in this passage, we're going to see one more step that they make in their obedience to God. And so go ahead and look at verse 28 with me. It says, The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. So when it's talking about the law of Moses, it's talking about all of the commands that God gave to the Israelite nation through Moses. And those commands are recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the welfare of the Israelites was really dependent on their obedience to these commands. They were in a covenant relationship with God where if they obeyed God, God would bless them and they'd have a great life in the land that God had given them. But if they were to disobey these commands, then they would end up in exile. And just a few generations back, that is exactly what had happened. And the people of Israel were just living in disobedience to God. They were worshiping idols. They were living the way that they wanted to live. And so God sent prophets to the people to get them to turn back to God. And they just didn't want to hear it. And so they kept living the way that they wanted to live. And so to get their attention, God raised up the Babylonians to defeat the Israelites and carry them away to captivity in Babylon. And they were in this captivity for 70 years and then they were released and allowed to go back to their homeland. And now they've been in their homeland for a few years and they haven't really been following after God until Nehemiah comes in. And they, they've been presented with this choice. 
Like, are they going to follow in the footsteps of their ancestors and just keep doing life their own way? They're looking at their life now and they're seeing a disconnect between the way that they've been living and the way that God has called them to live. And they don't want to follow in the footsteps of their ancestors. They want to live in obedience to God. And so they make a commitment altogether. And this isn't just a private, personal commitment, but it's a commitment that they make within community. And I think that's kind of key for what we're talking about this morning that commitments are a lot easier to keep within community. That's why fitness programs like Weight Watchers are a little bit more effective because it has that community aspect where you're doing it along with somebody else and you're able to give that person updates and encourage other people along. Or programs like Alcoholics Anonymous that uses accountability to help people overcome um, addictions. And even the accountability that we have on Sunday mornings by coming together in the church where we hear from God's word and then we say, all right, guys, what are we going to do with this? Let's live it out in the next part of our week until we get back the next week. That's accountability. That's community. And we all need this kind of accountability and community within our lives. And I would say that accountability is involving somebody else in your life to help you make choices that honor God. And I know for myself that I am at my best when I have people speaking into my life. But to be totally honest with you, there's areas of my life that sometimes I just don't want to surrender to God. And I'll say that I'll give God 100% of this area in my life, in this area, in this area, in this, but not this. Because I want to keep this for myself. And deep down inside, I might know that that's not right, and so I cover it up. And I don't want anybody else to know about it, because what if, what if my good Christian friends saw this in my life? Well, it might make me feel guilty about it. They might encourage me to make a change in my life, and I don't want to make a change. And so I tuck that away and try not to get any kind of accountability for it. But the reality is that we need accountability in the areas of our lives that we don't want accountability. I think this point is a real zinger. And I'm not tooting my own horn here because I actually didn't come up with this point for the message. There was another pastor at Bridgewater who did that. But I really do think that God strategically has me preaching this message this morning Because this is what I need to hear for myself in this season of life. And maybe this is what you need to hear in whatever season of life that you are going through. Because for most of my life, I've had pretty good accountability. I can say I love accountability in the areas of my life where I am acing it. Like You can keep me accountable for coming to church on Sundays because I will be there. Or there's the areas of my life where maybe I know I need to make a change. And I'm okay with making that change. It doesn't really matter to me. I'll show you a picture from my single days not too long ago. Here I am in Israel trying to pose like Samson about to bring the house down. But if we zoom in just a little bit, we see this. You can laugh at that. That is pretty rough. And so now that I have Gabby in my life, she is keeping me accountable for the kinds of clothes that I wear out in public. And I am not allowed to wear those sandals anymore. So if you see those in our clothing closet, it's because I got rid of them. And so 
I'm okay, though, with that kind of accountability in my life because I see, all right, that's a change I need to make, and I'm okay with making that change. But I'm sure we could all identify areas in our lives where we really, we don't want people to mess with that. We might not even want anything to change. I could be okay with accountability for coming to church and actually wearing nice clothes that matches my age, but areas of my life where I don't welcome accountability might be like, having patience with my dog that I don't have a lot of patience for or having good boundaries with Gabby until we get married. And so all of us, I think, can identify areas in our lives where we need accountability. And the people of Israel, they did the same thing. This commitment they made to God includes one of the Ten Commandments. And it's not because the other nine commandments are not important, but I think it's because they're focusing and what they're really struggling with at this time. And so let's go ahead and look at the commitments that they made to God, starting in verse 30. It says, We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. So these guys basically made the commitment not to marry unbelievers. They're not trying to be racist here or anything like that. But all of the other nations surrounding them don't worship the one true God. And all throughout Israel's history, they have this track record where they're attracted to foreign people, they get married, and then they start worshiping the false gods that their spouse worships. And then they have kids, and their kids also start worshiping these false gods, and it's just a slippery slope. And so this choice to not marry foreigners and to not marry unbelievers is so important for them to live in obedience to God. Now we'll take a look at the second commitment that they made to God in verse 30. It says, when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forgo working the land and will cancel all debts. So God set this example with the Sabbath day where he worked in six days doing the work of creation and then rested on the seventh day. And now God's asking the people or telling the people of Israel to kind of treat their businesses like Chick-fil-A, all right? Don't work on the Sabbath day. And just a little side note on the Sabbath, this is the one command out of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated and affirmed in the New Testament. And Jesus, when he was living on this earth, perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament in the way that he lived. And when he died on the cross, he set in motion a new covenant, a new way for people to relate to God. And Jesus never said for us to obey all the rules of keeping the Sabbath. Instead, he said to people, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so the rest for us as New Testament believers is not found in a bunch of rules and regulations, but it's in connecting with Jesus. I was in Israel a few years ago, and I experienced firsthand how they still keep up all the rules of the Sabbath. And a lot of them are just man-made rules. Like their elevators were on a timer, and so the elevators would stop at every floor, and the doors would open up so that people could get into that elevator and get where they needed to go without having to push a button because that was considered work. 
And so in Israel, I saw a lot of people who were following the rules of the Sabbath, but they weren't resting in Jesus. And I think as a principle for us as New Testament believers, that we should take a day of the week to rest, to reset, but to connect with Jesus and to find our rest with him. But these people in Nehemiah's day, they're living before the time of Jesus. And so all of these Old Testament rules apply to them and they make this commitment to not do business on the Sabbath. And then let's go ahead and look at the third commitment that they made. And that is in verse 32. They said, we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. For the bread set out on the table for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings for the offerings on the Sabbaths at the new moon feasts and the appointed festivals for the holy offerings for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. And so the, the temple was a non-profit. They needed resources in order to do sacrifices and to even take care of the livelihoods of the people who had committed their lives to work in the temple. And so they made this commitment to give their resources to God. And this is something that they had been neglecting. And I really think it's two root reasons for why they were neglecting giving their resources to God. For some of the people, it's probably because they didn't trust God. They're looking at their budget and they're figuring out how to make ends meet and to put food on the table. And it's tight. And they don't know how they can still take 10% of everything that they have and give it back to God. And so they just hold on to it for themselves because they don't trust that if they give to God, that God will provide for their needs. The other root issue that could be behind all of this is that they're greedy. Like maybe they're not struggling to make ends meet and they're filling up their bank account and they're excited about all this money that they have and what they can do with that money. And they're like, ah, why would we want to give to God if we can save up a little bit more and we can get that nice BMW chariot or an early retirement or something like that. And so these people needed to make this commitment to honor God with their resources and how long do you think they went with following through on all of these commitments? Well, that's what we're going to check out in chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to the last chapter. We're going to see just how well these people do with following through on their commitments. Just to kind of fill you in on what is going on in the first part of chapter 13. The people are doing good in their relationship with God. They are on track with reading the Bible as a community and not just listening to what God's word says, but also putting it into action in their lives. And so they were reading from a part of God's word that said to not include Ammonites and Moabites in their assemblies as they gather together for worship or not to allow those people into the temple. And so those people, not just they didn't just hear what God's word said, but they put it into action. And so they excluded those people from their worshiping. And now that might sound super exclusive, but there actually is good reasoning behind that. And that's because all the way back in Israel's history, after they had been freed from Egypt and they were wandering around in the wilderness, they were near the land of Moab and Ammon. 
And the Moabites and the Ammonites did not help out the Israelite people. They didn't give them food or water. In fact, they made things worse by hiring a prophet to curse the Israelite people. And so God said, all right, don't have anything to do with those kind of people when it comes to worship. And so everybody else is taking this seriously except for a priest named Eliashib. And it sounds kind of backward that a priest is not taking God's word seriously. But he has this buddy named Tobiah. And Tobiah is one of these foreigners who's not allowed in the temple. But Eliashib is the keeper of this storeroom where they put like oil and grain to feed the temple workers. And Eliashib lets Tobiah use this storeroom within the temple to kind of set up shop. And this is kind of the first example of where we see the Israelite people starting to go downhill in their commitments. Let's go ahead and look at verse 6 and just see what's going on with Nehemiah here. So verse 6 is about Nehemiah. It says, But while all this was going on, I, Nehemiah, was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. So Nehemiah had spent most of his life in Persia as a cupbearer to the king. And he had only taken a leave of absence to go to Jerusalem and to help the people rebuild the walls. And after he had gotten the people of Israel on their two feet, they're living in this city, they're on track to follow God and turn back to God in the ways that they're living. And so Nehemiah goes back to Persia to kind of keep tabs on the job that he had before. And it was in his absence that things kind of went downhill. And I think that what we see here in this passage illustrates the truth that close proximity is essential for accountability. When you hear about accountability or an accountability group, what comes to your mind? How do you think about it? I think of a bunch of guys kind of sitting around in a circle like, all right, what can we keep you accountable for? Like, ah, keep me accountable for not viewing pornography. All right, we'll do that. See you next week. And then a week goes by and the guys are back together. All right, how'd you do with viewing pornography this week? Better. All right. And then we just kind of take that verbal affirmation of how somebody's doing and call that good enough. And we call that accountability. And I'm not saying that kind of accountability is bad. But the tricky thing with accountability is that the foundation for it really is honesty. And it can be pretty easy to just hide from people how you're really doing. Use overarching terms like doing better. And just hope that people don't pry in a little bit deeper and figure out how you're really doing. And so those kinds of accountability structures, they're fine. But I think that we really need to take it a step further and not just verbally communicate how we're doing, but to have people who can step into our lives and be close to us and have a window into our lives to see how we are really doing, to know that they're not just counting on a weekly report, but somebody who can see how I'm really doing. One of my closest friends and even my cousin, the best man in my wedding, we are super tight, and we are also 
just super real with each other. I'll call them up all the time and we'll tell each other how we're struggling, how we can be praying for each other. He'll text me every now and again and just be like, hey, pray for me. And we have really good accountability in the sense that we keep tabs on each other, but he should not be my primary accountability partner. That's because he lives all the way out in Virginia. And so his understanding of how I am doing is solely based on my honesty with him and me telling him how I'm doing. And if I wanted to cover something up or to hide something from him, then I really could do that. And so we could all find somebody that we check in with once every couple of weeks and just be like, hey, ask me some tough questions. But what we all really need is somebody who is close to us, somebody who has a window into our lives and can ask us those tough questions on an ongoing basis. But the people in Israel, they didn't really have this, and they were just slipping down this track of disobeying God and breaking all of the commitments that they had made to God. So let's go ahead and look at the commitments that they broke, starting in verse 10. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So... This all goes back to giving resources to the temple. The Levites are the people who take care of the temple. And they've had to go back to their own fields because people are not giving their resources to God. And so they don't even have enough food to put food on the table for their family. So they're going out and having to work. And that's just the people breaking their commitment to give their resources to God. Let's go ahead and look at the other commitment that these people broke. And we see that. In verse 15, in those days I saw people in Judah treading winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all of this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. So they made a commitment to not do business on the Sabbath. What are they doing? Business on the Sabbath. All right, let's go ahead and look at the third commitment that they broke in verse 23. It says, Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. And so they broke their commitment to not marry unbelievers. And we could look at this whole scenario and just give Nehemiah a hard time and blame him for it. Like, come on, Nehemiah. If you had just stayed with the people and kept them accountable, maybe they wouldn't have gone to this point. Or you could look at this scenario and be like, well, it's not really a good sales pitch for accountability. Look, it didn't work. But I think that what this illustrates for us is that external fixes can't really fix our hearts. We can have accountability structures in place, but, and those are great, and we need those structures, but we also need to have our hearts in the right place. And I was talking to one of the pastors at Bridgewater this week in premarital counseling, and he was telling me about the accountability software that he puts on all of his devices and it's not necessarily because he's struggling in this area, but he just wants to be above reproach and not give any opportunity for him to sin with his Google searches. 
And so with this accountability software, if he looks up anything slightly questionable, it'll send an alert to his father-in-law, and then his father-in-law will check up on him. And we were just talking about how important those kind of structures are. Like if you are struggling with pornography, then one of the first things I would say is put blocks on your device. That is just an external accountability system, and it is worth a few dollars a month to live in obedience to God. But there's also ways around those accountability structures. And if we just see that as the fix and be like, all right, I did that, but not fix our hearts, we can find our ways right around that. We can find all the loopholes. We can just try to hide things better. And so I I believe we all need accountability in our lives. But as we put those structures into place, we also need to be getting our hearts in the right place. And I think this comes through reading God's word through prayer and trusting in the strength of God. And I know we talk about those things all the time, but it's because it's true. And we're in a much better place if our obedience to God flows out of our love for him instead of just trying not to get caught. And my challenge for all of us this morning is let's just identify that area in our lives that we really need accountability Maybe for you, it is pornography. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's giving your resources to God or even setting aside a day a week to rest and focus on Jesus. Maybe you need accountability in your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And if any of those areas of your life are uncomfortable and you're like, I really don't want accountability there, I think that's an indicator that is where We need accountability the most. And so I really want to encourage you to invite somebody else into your life to help you make choices that honor God. Somebody who has a window into your life and can see where you're really at. And then to also work on just getting your heart in the right place. If you're struggling with a certain area, I really want to encourage you to do a Google search on verses that apply to that area that you are struggling in. And just set your mind on those things or find a version Bible plan that relates with whatever it is that you're walking through right now and to pray about those things. And I'll just be super honest with you. Uh, I'm getting married in just three and a half weeks and having patience until my wedding has been tough on me. And so for a while, I was just doing version Bible apps Uh, devotions on purity morning and night because I needed to get my head and my heart in the right place and I know for sure that God has strategically set it up for me to preach this message this morning on accountability because I need it in my life I'm like how can I preach to other people on accountability if I'm not working on this too And maybe God has set it up for you to hear this message on accountability because that's what you need in your life as well. And it's just like God to do something like that, right? And I really do think that that we're not in this struggle alone and that we don't have to do it in our own strength. And so we want to do what we can and everything we can to set up good structures in our lives to keep us on track and live in in obedience to God. But as we just seek God and get to know him better through his word and talk to him in prayer, it reminds us that we're not just trying to 
clean up our life and polish it so we look good on the outside. This is just about drawing closer to God and living in obedience to him, and he'll give us the strength to do that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your ways are best. I thank you that you don't forbid um, sin because you want to keep us from fun, but that you command us not to do things because you don't want us to get hurt by it. And God, there's areas of our lives that I'm sure we, we just want to hang on to and we want to keep for ourselves, but it's hurting us. And we don't want people to know about that areas of our lives. Um, we just want to keep it for ourselves. And I ask that you would just help us to search our hearts and give us conviction and the, just the ability to let go of those things that we've been holding on to so tightly to invite people into our lives who can help us to make choices that honor you. Help us to remember that this journey of following you is not for us to do in our own strength and it's not for us to do alone. Help us to do this as a community of believers, as a church, to build each other up and help us to just know you better and rely on your strength each and every day. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.